Katyra Poland. She's in the building. Uh, she's in the Rochester, New York area. Shout out to the Rock, my hometown. And uh, she's in the writing and editing industry. How you How you doing today, Katyra? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me today, Mason. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome to have you. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that you're known for in Rochester is, uh, you know, your, the books that you've written and, you know, editing and things. What got you into the writing industry? Yeah, so I started writing poetry um, back in middle school. So I've been writing for quite some time. I've always enjoyed reading and writing. Um, I, When I was in elementary school, I actually read to some of the younger students. Um, and I always used to participate in the reading summer, summer contest where you nice. would read all the books and get the, what was it, Pizza Hut? <laughs> <laughs> something so I've always yeah, every year I participated but um, I've always loved reading and writing um, it's just something that came naturally to me and I continue to do it um, as far as launching my business I have a friend Ebony Nicole Smith she's a publisher and she was looking for an editor so I did a sample edit for her and she was thrilled about it and she started referring me to her publishing clients oh, nice. so I started getting um like a stream of clients that way. And then I launched my business. I'm like, well, I like to read and write. Editing is in the realm. Let me go ahead and start a business. So I've been doing that since 2017. Sweet. Yeah, you know, we we have that in common. I, I, uh, I've been writing poetry since the sixth grade. Oh. Until this day, like out of all hobbies I've had, writing is probably the thing I'm most consistent with. Mm-hmm. Poetry um, and lyrics and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, I'll give a quick shout out to the hip hop and sales on, on LinkedIn. But yeah, uh, poetry is a—I feel like it's an art. Mm-hmm. It's a—it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Do you read poetry? Yes, do I do. Uh, yes, I do. Sometimes okay. I read poetry. Um, yeah, I do. Um, and then okay. I, I published my first book of poetry in March, um, and okay. I also had my book signing in March. So I do read poetry um, for here and there, not like on a regular basis, but I do read poetry. Yeah, because that is that hard though. Like, because okay, you you're an editor, mm-hmm. you've written books. Have you read books your whole life? And then like now that you're writing and editing and things, like, do you like like okay, I'm done reading. Like, I'm not going to read no more. Or like, reading is like a passion of yours. So with editing, the majority of the things that I read are the books that I'm editing. So I don't do a lot of, of personal reading just because I spend so much time reading, you know, as a part of editing. So, I mean, I still enjoy reading, but because it's something I'm doing on a consistent basis, I don't feel the need to be editing a project and reading this book. And <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so it's kind of it's yeah. kind of redundant for me to be editing and reading a book. Um, I've done okay. it before. Most of what I read has to do with editing. So, like, I just checked out a book um, that talks about the different 
types of editing. And again, for any business owners who are listening or watching, uh, make sure that you uh, educate yourself. You can never, um, you, my, one of my, one of the one of quotes that I say is I can, I will never know everything, but I can always learn something. So like I exactly. watch YouTube videos about, yeah, I watch YouTube videos about editing. I check out books from the library just to, to um, make sure that I'm always gaining more knowledge, getting better, um, making sure that I'm doing things correctly. Um, so I take the time out to do that. So a lot of times if I am reading something outside of an editing project, it's to get better at my craft. Yeah. Yeah. I have that mind, same mindset, you know, always learn, you know, I, I never want to feel like, Oh, I'm the smartest person in the room. I just feel like that's foolish. And then right. always having that, you know, that student mentality where like, you know, like you similar to you, like I'm, I probably read a lot of Forbes and, and Business Insider um, as far as articles, like, written. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to, um, like, I listen to podcasts or, like, YouTube, you know, certain, certain things on there, too. So I feel like I'm always in that student mindset, you know? Because if someone right. decided to get out of the student mindset, how do you think that could, like, be detrimental to their career or business? I mean, it prevents you from, I, I believe it will prevent you from getting better. If you're not open to critique or constructive criticism or just feedback and advice, then you're going to be stagnant. Um, you are, are going to, a lot of opportunities will pass you by because you are um, stuck in that uh, mindset. You're not willing to be open. You're not willing to evolve and grow. Um, and listen to others. You know, I've only been editing, you know, professionally or officially for three years. Um, even when I've reached 33 years, like there, there will always be things that I can do better. Um, and even if you get advice from someone, that doesn't mean you have to take it, but you can still listen. Um, and, exactly. and you can pick out what applies to you because maybe what they said doesn't apply or you don't agree with what they said. Maybe right. you don't agree with their feedback and that's fine, but you can still listen. I mean, it's not going to hurt for you to, to take in the information. Yeah. And, uh, you said you've been writing officially for three years and, uh, yeah. Tell, tell us a little about some of the, your, your body of work. I know I've read, read, um, one of your books, professionalism. Mm -hmm. What is it? Mm -hmm. Um, highly recommend that people read that book. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, tell us some about tell us about some of the things you've written over the over the last three years or more. Yes, yeah. So I've been editing for the last three years. I started writing in middle school, so just to uh, differentiate. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So for clarification, what what I mean is, okay, you've been editing for three. When yes. did you publish your first book? Oh, I published my first book in 2017. Uh, professor, okay. professionalism. What's that? Uh, the one that you read. Um, okay. So I, I just recognized that there was a gap in um, what employees and entrepreneurs brought to the table in business. So um, they're, you know, even like customer service, like when I would call offices, people didn't have proper phone etiquette um, or like even texting etiquette, um, conflict management, things like that. So I wanted to create a, a resource, a brief resource, something easy to read so that either a new or current employees or entrepreneurs could brush up on those skills. 
okay, how do I address an issue um, with with a coworker appropriately. Um, if if something happens and like, for example, I went to a McDonald's and they got my order wrong, um, even though that's not work related, like how do I respond to that? Do I mm. you know, go back in there? Do I start yelling? Um, or do I mm. you know, just walk up to the counter? Oh, this is my receipt. You got it wrong. Can I, you know, can I have the correct order? And what is the response? You have to think about that. So if I do go back and I walk in screaming and yelling, et cetera, you know, um, cursing, things like that, how, how will they probably respond to me? You know, versus if you, you know, return calmly and, you know, you let them know they got your order wrong. So that actually happened to me. And I just took the receipt back and let them know it was wrong. And I got a free drink. So just think about those things. Because nice. your behavior doesn't only matter in work or business. So there could, my future employer could have been in that McDonald's at the time. So if mm-hmm. I had chosen to do the other thing of getting loud and cursing, who knows what opportunity would have been blocked because of that. Um, so I just, I wanted the resource to, you know, share the experiences that I've had and also teach people, you know, this is, this will help you and this will hurt you. And again, the choice is yours, but I wanted to make sure that, um, people have that, that guidance because we're not taught those things in school. I never took a professionalism class ever. Um, they don't teach in high school. Um, I don't believe they have it in college. I, I don't ever remember seeing that in, in, at any of my colleges. But these things are essential to be successful. So again, I feel that professionalism, what's that, kind of fills in the gap. Um, there's also samples, like resume samples in there, um, cover letter samples, um, talks about informational interviews, which is basically um, sitting down and have a conversation with someone who is either in the industry that you're interested in or they have a job that you are pursuing or a title you're pursuing or they're working at an organization you're interested in and you sit down and talk to them about that. Hi, my name's Katyra. I'm, I would like to be um, you know, a public relations specialist. I see that you have your own PR firm. Do you have time to sit down with me? You just want to talk more about how you got to where you are. Um, yeah. So that is very important. And that's not just for students or young people. That's for anybody. So even like you know, if we have seasoned professionals, maybe you are working in nonprofit, but you want to go into banking. Informational interview could work wonders for you. You know, you go on LinkedIn, type in a bank manager or teller, send somebody, you know, send them a message on LinkedIn. Hey, I'm looking to transition from nonprofit to banking. Do you have some time to sit down with me? Do you have time for Zoom? Do you have time for a phone call? I'd like to know more about the industry and uh, get your recommendations on what I should do. So that's some of the information that's in the book. Um, Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that, you know, you enjoyed it and that you found it useful, even though I would consider you, you know, a seasoned professional. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the biggest takeaways for me after I read the book, too, and just more like strategy and, and communication was toward written communication, like email, yes, text messages, like. Because sometimes you can get a little more laxed when you right. send an email or a text because right. it's not verbal. Mm-hmm. Um, you even tapped in, I think in, the, in there you might even talked about like how you carry yourself like and what you wear. Mm-hmm. But 
for me, I, it was a big takeaway was like written my written communication, like, and my like my career and just relationships with people in general, professional and personal, have been better just because I'm just more cognizant and I'm more intentional about okay, how am I going to word this? Mm-hmm. Then I'll write it, write it up, and before I hit send. I'm like, is this like, yes, of course you want to be yourself sometimes, you know, whatever. Right. You might even put a joke, even some in professional settings, sometimes I still listen to joke, right. but I always ask myself, is this professional? Does this represent me well? Right. Right. Cause sometimes with email or, or text, you might be a little more thoughtless from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I got to get better at that. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so that was the biggest takeaway, uh, takeaway for me. Mm-hmm. Um, with that. And uh, that brings me to think about like, you know, you and I both grew up in Rochester. We've worked in the Rochester area. Um, for you personally, what was it like growing up in Rochester? Um, I mean, I, I was afforded many opportunities. So for me, you know, I felt very blessed. Um, also lucky as well. Um, you know, I was able to go to summer camp and, um, Camp Corey overnight camp. Um, I participated in like sports throughout the city, like at the YMCA, um, at um, like the local Maplewood branch. That's the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, I attended magnet schools, which I don't think exist anymore, but they offered a more rigorous curriculum for, you know, um, you know, um, students who performed well in school. Um, I went to Nazareth Academy, which is closed now, but that's an all-girls private school. So for me, I've had a really great experience um, growing up here in Rochester. I mean, of course, like anyone, there were there were bumps and, um, you know, valleys and highs and all of that. But overall, um, I was very blessed in my childhood. I had a lot of opportunities that I know um, other children were not afforded. Um, you know, I, I went to college um, to have a lot of privileges, um, and I think it's easy to forget that, especially being a black person in America. It's sometimes it feels like an oxymoron to say that I have privileges, considering some of the <laughs> other characteristics that I, you know, have. But um, I cannot complain about, you know, my upbringing or being in Rochester. Um, I lived in Savannah, Georgia for three years. I really enjoyed, yeah, I lived down there. Um, Really enjoyed my time away. Um, But, you know, now that I'm back here and before I went, I always felt like there were a lot of resources available. Um, I've always been able to connect to groups and organizations and people that were like-minded. Also people who challenged me, you know, to think outside of the box. So overall, it's been a pretty good experience. Um, nothing, I don't, I don't have anything really terrible to say about my personal experience. But of course, like any city, Rochester has its um, challenges, you know, violence and, and racism and all the things that plague right. our entire country. But personally, exactly. I had a pretty, I had a good experience growing up here. Yeah, my experience was good here too. Um, I'm a uh, prideful Rochesterian. So I went to Thomas Jefferson High School. It's now Rochester International Academy. But uh, to me, 
even though it was an inner city school, it didn't feel like it because it was so international. I think that's mm -hmm. why they changed the name because like, I don't know why, but most people, uh, like mm -hmm. most immigrants who came from another country, whether they were from China, Japan, mm -hmm. Russia, um, Egypt, Egypt mm -hmm. Africa, like they all, and most of them came to Thomas Jefferson. I don't know why. And so I had to, I, you know, for, you know, from seventh grade, because how Thomas Jefferson worked from seventh to 12th grade, that's what you went. So for literally, you know, a good five years of my life, you know, I'm just surrounded by a melting pot, mm -hmm. you know, learning all different kinds of cultures. They telling me like, yeah, you know, we moved here because there was war in my country. I'm like, whoa, like, you know, and they just telling me stuff uh, like Kephalic, that's like Aramaic or like um, for like, what's up? So I would learn little things, you know, Nihama, that's like Chinese, like Mandarin for like, hi, how are you? So it's mm -hmm. like, I have these little introductions. So I'm like, okay, if, if I'm going to be around them, I want them to feel at home too. Like, it's not about you just adjusting to uh, America and English. I want to learn some of your language too. Mm -hmm. So just being in that environment for a young age, I think that that shaped some of my perspectives. Like, wow. And they just wanted to be like, we had same, the same goals, mm -hmm. whether they were Chinese, they all just wanted to take care of their family and be happy, you know, buy a house, you know, build a family. Like we all just love our family and want the best. Like, mm -hmm. so I'm like, you know, all, all people are pretty much the same. Like we might like different food or, you know, um, different shapes and sizes and colors, but at the end mm -hmm. of the day, we're all human. We're all human. Yeah. What stood out to me was you said you moved away to Georgia. See, my sister lives in Douglasville, Georgia right now. Oh, okay. I don't know how far that is from where you, but how hours. old were you? What'd you say? I said, I think Douglasville is just a couple of hours from Savannah. Cool. All right, cool, a couple hours, okay. What, how old were you when you moved from Rochester? Um, I was 27, I think. 20, 27, okay. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, I've actually been thinking about moving from Rochester, but like mm -hmm. maybe two, three years from now, but I'm not mm -hmm. sure yet. And I read that, um, and I've been researching stuff, and they say um, between age 21 and 30 years old, people are 40% likely to move. And it increases a little bit between age 31 to 40. So mm -hmm. somewhere between 21 and 40, people usually move from their hometown, right? And they give a list, list of different reasons. Why did you move from Rochester for three years? Um, I always wanted to relocate down south. Um, and it was kind of inspiration from my friends as well. I had one friend who moved to Thailand and another friend who moved to China. So I was like, I'm not staying here by myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So I ended, so I ended yeah. Okay, so, so you were um, influenced by your friends. Yes. Okay. So um, that was part of it. But like I said, I've always wanted to move down south. So I guess it was kind of twofold. So okay. that's why I decided to move down there. Um, I actually went down as an AmeriCorps. So um, for those of you who don't know what AmeriCorps is, it's basically 
Um, it's a service program where you're assigned to a nonprofit for a year. Um, at the end of the year, you receive um, you receive a grant towards your student loans. So I serve at Step Up Savannah for a year, um, helping with financial literacy. And then when the term was over, I decided to stick around. So I found full-time work down there and I ended up staying yeah. there. Um, I was laid off, which is why I came back. So if I okay. would have been laid off, I'd probably still um, be there, but I decided to just come back. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so is there something you learned about yourself? Like when you moved away, do you feel you grew more as a person versus if you just always been in Rochester and never moved? Do you think that, would you recommend to someone, like let's say someone is 21 years old right now. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a growing experience if someone moves away for a year, two, three years, just to get, you know, get perspective? For sure, I would definitely recommend it. Um, it teaches you independence. So, I mean, I didn't have any family or friends down there. So I had to find my, well, the the AmeriCorps program helped. They assisted as best as they could, but I had to, you know, look for housing, you know, um, figure out what areas were safer than others, um, get a lay of the land. I had never been there, so figuring out where things were, um, also getting involved in different groups so I could meet friends and have a network there and people I could rely on since I was so far away from home. Um, and also one thing that um, I realized, same thing I learned when I studied in Puerto Rico. Um, when I first got there, I was really secluded. Like I didn't really go out. I would kind of just, you know, stayed home. And I realized that was like making me miserable. So I was like, well, nobody's telling me I have to stay here. So I started like looking for groups to join, um, you know, professional development groups primarily, but even just like going on Facebook, like, okay, what events do they have here in Savannah? Um, and then once I started doing that, I started to um, build confidence and be more comfortable and start enjoying my time there instead of just secluding myself. So um, that was one lesson that I relearned um, while I was there in Savannah, and I was able to, you know, connect with a lot of people, build a strong network. I still keep in touch with friends there. I did go back and visit once since I moved back. Um, I have plans to go back again. Um, so definitely um, made me a better person, made me independent, but also dependent at the same time. So knowing I could do things on my own, but realizing um, I shouldn't do everything on my own and that there were people there to help me. So I would definitely recommend it to anyone who wants to, you know, move away or get away. Um, definitely do it. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Cause for me, I, I did live in Buffalo. I don't really count it though. I did mm -hmm. live in Buffalo for three years mm -hmm. and I did learn things about myself because yeah. none of my family lived in Buffalo. I mean, it's only hour away from where I grew right. up, but just for those who don't know who I in New York, Buffalo, New York. But um, I did learn a lot about myself and, uh, you know, made new friends out there, you know, totally different. I mean, it's similar, but different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the community vibe, um, you know, both cities are community oriented, but they're both just a little different. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they have the whole, you know, Buffalo Bills there, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm not a Buffalo Bills fan, so I got to yeah. for that. <laughs> 
because I'm not a Buffalo Bills fan. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trash. <laughs> I'm sorry for the listeners that are Buffalo Bills fans, and I just trash the team. But how do you go to the Super Bowl four times and lose four in a row? I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. So I did learn a lot, a lot about myself there and became more independent. And that's where I, I tried different food, like Thai food, German food, like everything, like Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes when you move away, you're a little more curious. Because when you right. grow up somewhere, you're like, you just know your spots and right. like, your vibe and your zone, and that's it. Like, you're not a visitor come, and they have a whole different curiosity. So, mm-hmm. um, So that's what I... That's what I learned about myself. Mm-hmm. And a- another thing that you and I, what connected you and me is Rochester Young Professionals. Um, and that's a nonprofit situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, volunteering and things. I didn't join the board. And I was leaning toward it. And then I did. Mm-hmm. And you were on a press professional development um, part of it. So, like, what has been your overall experience um, like, I think you've been on it for a couple of years, right? Like, if not longer. Yes. So I joined in 2018. Um, I mean, my goal was to have more Black presenters and also have more Black attendees at the events. Um, I have always been, well, I've been involved in RYP before joining the board, I would always go to their professional development events. I didn't really care for the social side. Um, But when I went, you know, I recognized that most of the people in the room didn't look like me. And I felt like that was unacceptable. We're in the city of Rochester. What is it like 45% um, black residents, something like that. And I just couldn't understand why we didn't have that, you know, racial diversity at those events considering where we're located in our population. So I did join because I wanted to change that. So when I came on board, I reached out to different black professionals um, to have them present and do workshops and events um, in the hopes that when people saw our presenters, they would feel more comfortable coming out and being attendees. So I definitely was able to do that. I did see an increase in um, Black professionals attending the events. Um, So I'm definitely proud that that's something that came to fruition and that people felt comfortable, you know, coming out to events, whereas before that wasn't the case. So that was my goal um, was to the racial diversity and also education, Um, you know, just bringing different topics. Um, We had a you know, presentation about LinkedIn profiles. We've had panels. Um, Of course, we have the annual RYP Expo that features local uh, entrepreneurs. Um, Lots of different events. We've had a, um, what's in the CEO circle featured three of our local female um, CEOs, Natalie. um, I do not know how to pronounce her last name. Natalie, the photographer. <laughs> yep, yep. It's like, uh, I, I don't want to butcher it either. I know it's the S. Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. I don't want to like, the name right. Singletary pops in my head, but I know it's not that. No, like, it's not. version of that. Uh, Ruby, of course, and um, Rosa Marie, who has the daycare, and then Ruby, of course, she has her, um, her wine 
I don't I don't think it's a wine a wine blog. It's so wine that was blog, one of yeah. the events, CEO Circle, and then of course the one with you and Amanda. Amanda, uh, you're hired Rochester. Um, and then Ruby was on that one as well. So I just wanted to bring diversity to, like I said, racial diversity, but also diversity in the topics. Um, I feel like yeah. there was a lack of focus on entrepreneurs. Like we had the annual expo, but we didn't have entrepreneur panels or CEO circle or things like that. So I brought all of that in and brought in different ideas um, to enhance our professional development um, not chapter department, if we want to call it that. So I'm, I was, you know, definitely pleased with the results. Um, got feedback from people, and I think the greatest, you know, uh, indicator, like I said, was having, you know, diverse people at the front of the room, which brought in a diverse, um, diverse attendance. Yeah, you know, I will say, like for me, I always felt comfortable at a Rochester Young Professional event. Mm -hmm. um, it was well, always well put together and there was always a variety. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, all, whoever was the host or on the board, you guys were always very welcoming and, mm -hmm. you know, very engaged. And then on the side where, you know, shout outs to Amanda and Ruby when we did that. Yes. Um, that was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, it was just, it just even like from a collaborative perspective, um, even like when I worked at Metro Cowork, you guys mm -hmm. collaborated a few times there too. Yeah. So um, it's a great organization um, and, you know, just appreciate all the hard work you put in for the Rochester mm -hmm. community behind Thank the you. scenes. I know you're on a lot of boards, so, mm -hmm. you know, I tip my hat to you for all the I dropped two though. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> She's like, I got too much lovely. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so here, let, let's get to the nitty gritty real quick. I always ask everybody, this question, business is personal. So that's been the theme. It's a value that I believe in, business is personal. It's the opposite of when someone says, you know, it's just business, right? Right. Usually when someone says that, it's kind of like, a, you know, you got stung a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, uh, I, don't, I don't believe that. I believe mm -hmm. business is personal. What, what does that mean to you personally? Uh, so for me, it means that, um, people want to know who you are um, before they do business with you. So what is it? They have to like, know, and trust you before they do business with you. So I think it's very important to build a rapport and a relationship um, and let people into the personal side. So, I mean, that's something I struggle with. When people ask me about myself, I always default to professional. You know, I'll talk about my business, editing, the fact that I'm an author, that I have a podcast. Um, I don't typically default to, you know, who Katyra is as an individual, but I recognize the importance of that. That is a way that um, my clients will connect to me. You know, if they know that I have a cat, that might give me um, a leg up over the editor next door. Um, or if they know, you know, I speak Spanish um, or I study Spanish in college, that might give me a leg up, you know, for the next, right. you know, editor or podcast hostess. Um, so I have to constantly work on that. Um, and even like, you know, painful personal events, like, you know, things that I have overcome, like, um, I'm actually launching a brand, Mocha Chocolate, and it, it celebrates and uplifts dark-skinned women and girls. Really? Um, who, you know, That's are what's often, up. Yeah, who often ostracized or told that they're not as beautiful and overlooked and things like that. But even sharing that with a potential client, 
if she has family who have experienced that or if she is herself a dark-skinned woman who's experienced that, hearing about mocha chocolate might give me um, an advantage over a competitive editor or whatever. Um, it can be business-related, but um, the point is, if I don't tell them personal things about me, I can't expect them to know, like, and trust me and then want to do business with me. So that's mm. what uh, business is personal means to me. Yeah, you know, I like how you mentioned, you know, sometimes we may default, you know. Right. Oh, right. like, tell me about yourself. And the first yep. thing we might mention is, like, you know, our, our job in this, you know. Yes. Oh, I'm in the property yes. management industry. Or you might say you're in the writing industry. Um, I think that's, I think, I think it's just a social norm. Yes. Because one of the first thing people ask you, what do you do for work? You know, mm -hmm. so you, if someone say, tell me about yourself, even if it's not right. in an interview, your default might be, okay, let me just tell them what I do for work. Right. Um, and uh, I, I used to struggle with that. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, you know, I'm going to just be me all the time. Right. Now, obviously, you, no you, you, modify, you modify just a little bit. But, mm -hmm. you know, I love sports. Like, I could talk mm -hmm. about sports with clients. I could talk about sports with family. I talk about, I talk about sports with everybody. Mm -hmm. I love wine. I'm not really a beer fan. Sorry to mm -hmm. the people who love beer. Mm -hmm. But I'm more of a wine guy. Mm -hmm. I like alcohol, too, like my vodka, my bourbon, whiskey, whatever, tequila, yeah. like it all. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Mixed drinks, all of that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, fashion. Oh, my God. That's why we did the event with Ruby and Amanda. Like, I yes. love fashion. I love, like, that's just my thing. Mm -hmm. So those are, like, the top three things that I'm most passionate about. And no matter mm -hmm. where I'm at, I might end up, like, why is Mason always talking about food, wine, or sports? Or, like, you... <laughs> yeah. So I, I used to struggle with that, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just be me. Mm -hmm. Just be me. And um, like I mentioned before, I was in, in high school with, uh, people from other countries and stuff like that. And one of the personal things I did want to talk to you about, I know in one of the books, you, the, the book you wrote, there's code switching, mm -hmm. right? So what are, yeah. what is code switching? And then let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So code switching, um, to say it simply is adapting who you are to fit in. So, when you go to work, you have a different demeanor, a different language, a different way of speaking and communicating than when you're at home, or most people do anyway. Um, mm -hmm. There's language you probably wouldn't use at work that you wouldn't use at home. Um, or, you know, even the way you dress can be a form of code switching. You know, when you go to an interview, your suit and tie. Uh, when you go to the basketball court, you're, you know, dressed down with your sneakers. So that's another form of code switching. Um, the way it's presented and to in society, well, let me back up. Um, everyone code switches at some point or another. Um, it's a part of human nature. Um, if you're looking to um, assimilate or you're trying to fit in, be accepted, which is human nature to want to be accepted, you're going to adjust who you are or what you do um, to be able to fit in. Um, with that being said, um, some of us are expected to code switch a lot more than others. So specifically, um, I'll speak, you know, about the black community or black people um, in the United States for code switching. Um, so one of the ways that uh, we're expected to code switch is um, even our hair. 
So I'm sure that you've seen plenty of stories where um, there are students having their hair cut off, their braids, their mm. dreads. There are people yeah. who are being denied employment because of their hairstyles mm. or their hair texture. Um, kinkier textures are not as accepted as, you know, loose or wavy or, you know, looser curl patterns. So that's one, you know, one form of code switching. Um, also language. So, um, so for example, usually the British accent is, you know, everybody loves a British accent. Mm -hmm. If you have an Arabic accent, typically that's not um, praised. Exactly. Um, that's exactly. usually looked down on. So, I mean, I know somebody who went so far as to un learn their accent. She actually took a class. She's Puerto Rican descent. But when she first moved to Puerto Rico, she was teased so bad about her accent that she took a class to get wow. rid of it. So wow. the point of that is it's presented as mandatory. And in most cases, code switching is presented as beneficial. But there are cons to code switching. So the biggest one that I identify is that you have to hide or be ashamed of who you are as of who you are naturally so we have women and men who get relaxers because society said kinky hair is bad we have people who are literally risking their lives bleaching their skin because society says dark skin is bad we have people you know immigrants who move to the united states who um, drop their their um, native name and, and pick up Sue or Tom or Dan or something. Mm -hmm. It's easier on the tongue. So that's another form of um, that can have low esteem. Like you're literally denying who you are naturally in order to assimilate. So I think it's important to make sure we have that conversation um, that code switching is, it's not mandatory, but you have to, to decide whether or not you want to code switch and be okay with the consequences either way. And then number two, everything that comes from code switching is not good. And there are things that can be detrimental to your self-esteem, your mental health, your emotional health um, that come along with code switching. Um, specifically for um, black and, and brown people um, who are not considered mainstream society. So in professionalism, what's that? I do have a chapter that talks about code switching, what it means and the impact it has on those of us who have to do it pretty much on a um, hourly basis. <laughs> I mean, literally. Yeah. So, um, and then even for myself, um, like with my name, you know, when I introduce myself, people automatically want to give me a nickname. Oh, do you, can, can I call you Ty? Can I call you Tyra? Um, and there are people who do have nicknames again to assimilate. Well, mm. I don't want to keep repeating my name. Well, you know, I don't want to have to explain what my name means. I don't want people to be intimidated because of my name. Um, and then even like, I don't want people to overlook my resume because it says Katyra instead of Ty. Right. So all of these right. things come with code switching and it can be really taxing and draining. And like I said, chips away at your self-esteem, chips away at um, who you are at your core, um, even though it's typically, typically presented in a positive light. Yeah. Um, you know, even for myself, personal and professional, I don't wear hoodies. I have one hoodie, mm -hmm. but like, I will only wear it if I'm jogging. Like, yeah. so example, I don't walk into a store with a hoodie on. Mm -hmm. 
I don't go into a restaurant with a hoodie on. Like I, I learned early, you know, we, when, when they see a black person in a hoodie, they automatically think I'm a gangster, automatically. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. whether they verbally say it or not, or their body language, they get a little scared. Like, mm-hmm. and I could be smiling, I could be in the, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. even like, just because I'm black in a hoodie, yeah. danger. Like people associate danger. So I don't, I don't right. really wear hoodies like that. Right. I got one hoodie. It says I'm love on it. Um, you know, Fatima, I, I got it from her here in Rochester uh, mm-hmm. to support her. And I love, I love the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a quick plug for her. That wasn't planned. And um, mm-hmm. so I don't wear hoodies. Another thing is like language. Mm-hmm. So I'm one fourth Jamaican. My dad is half. My granddad is full. And um, I had to adjust, like I had to, I talked about this in like uh, a different episode, but I um, I went through speech therapy because, you know, my parents knew that um, I would have to get a job. And um, I had to learn like Americanized English right. instead of Patois, you know? Mm-hmm. So, plus like my parents spoke pig, pig Latin to each other too. So that's mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And also, honestly, sometimes, I mean, for me, I didn't need glasses until I was mm-hmm. 24, 25, but I've been wearing glasses since I was 21, like the mm-hmm. fashionable ones. Mm-hmm. And I, I wear glasses for distance. Like I don't wear them to read. So I don't need them all the time. I only need them when I'm driving. Mm-hmm. So honestly, sometimes I'll wear glasses, like especially if I'm in a you know professional meeting or a client situation mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, or certain stores I'm going to go into, I'm like, okay, let me put my glasses on just to, you know, be less threatening or whatever the case. For some reason, people yeah. feel, especially when I'm driving too, mm-hmm. I like to have glasses on just in case, like if I get pulled over, and the cops, see I have glasses on, like, oh, this is not just an ordinary black man. This is a, you know, he's not, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because if I have a hoodie on, like, let's just say I have a hoodie on, I'm listening to, to rap music, you know, whatever. I get pulled over, he may already assume some things. But let's just say mm-hmm. I have a polo on, glasses on. It's a total different perspective. Like, oh, you know. Right. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's mm-hmm. an honest man, you know, whatever, whatever. So for me, I know I have to hide myself from that perspective um, mm-hmm. just because it's necessary for me. Like, I have to in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really great examples. Um, I think the other piece of that, not to be um, negative, but for Black people, code switching doesn't always work. So even if you have the glasses on, even if you're not wearing a hoodie, even if you're speaking in proper English, you can still be literally killed, um, but you can still be discriminated against. So I think that adds a whole other element to it um, that I won't, I mean, I'm not, I just mentioned it briefly, like I said, I don't wanna be uh, too negative, but that, that is a reality. Yeah, it's definitely a reality. Um, and you know, this podcast is all about being real, you know, and for people to hear vulnerability, 
just because it's like I, I feel people shouldn't have to hide themselves as much as they do. But unfortunately, right. you know, we have to, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, like we talked earlier to get a job, mm-hmm. um, friendship situations, like we all do it. We all do mm-hmm. it. Sometimes right. we got to do it to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate that, that it have to be that way. But, you know, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Usually what I do is I give a 60-second recap. Um, and so so for the people out there, you know, always have a student mindset. Always be willing to learn, no matter what craft you're in, whether, you know, you're entrepreneur or you're in sales or HR, whether it's listening to podcasts, whatever you do to keep that learning mindset, uh, keep learning. Then, you know, if you're contemplating moving away, like say you in your hometown, you never moved away, you can learn some things. You can learn independence. Um, and then if you want to volunteer, get in a nonprofit, you can learn things from there as well. And then lastly, you know, true, there's the things about, you know, if you hear people say, be authentic, be real, be yourself. But with code switching, sometimes we got to hide parts of ourselves in order to get ahead. And that just, mm-hmm. that's just reality. So again, Katyra, thank you for, for being on today's show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Lunch and Drink Podcast, where true sales pros go to share their stories on their lunch breaks. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a rating share on social media and make sure you come back for more episodes on season four of the lunch break podcast where business is personal